1: Wake up in the morning feeling like... Waterman is extremely well. She's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question.
0: Is this a try? Yes or no?
1: Just because I'm a woman.
2: (laughs) Hello, try-hards. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this... um, Crazy weather that we're all experiencing at the moment.
1: <laughs> I feel like I could wear when I go for my daily walk. I could wear a bikini or a rain jacket. There's no in between because it's not cold. It's just
2: damp. A bikini under a rain jacket be awful though because rain jackets are proper sticky. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah. Okay, I won't. I won't wear that. But I was just. It was more of a kind of like <laughs> <laughs> theoretical statement I'm oh, okay rocking around Cardiff in a bikini and rain
2: jacket <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what I can't I just can't get over in contrast to what the weather was like last year and I know this is a conversation that seems to be had by everybody I speak to about this crazy what you called it the other day bipolar weather like it's was- either super sunny or super rainy or I mean there was I, I did a call yesterday with HSBC and um, Emma, who was hosting, it was down in central London. And she had to keep putting herself on mute because the thunder and lightning and rain no. was so loud. <laughs> it was being transmitted by this webinar that was going, ac- well, Zoom, that was going across the world. Yeah. <laughs> insane. I, I'm not enjoying it, though. Um, there is a
1: 16-day heat wave forecast for the end of June which is when me and the fam are going to Devon so I just want to ask any of our listeners who live in South Devon we're going to Sheldon so if anyone's got any pub recommendations good walks oh. with the dogs um that's somewhere I will be rocking around it not in a bikini but I will have my wetsuit on um, <laughs> and probably one of my budgie one pieces so um, yeah, if anyone's got any recommendations for us, let us know, because we'd like to book some places before we go. And we've never been to Devon as a family before.
2: Oh, nice. Well, obviously, you visited, um, having been down to the Rowlands residence yeah, um, in North Devon. North Devon. But... I, I have
1: been to South Devon a number of times. The, um, the drunkest I've ever been at a wedding was um, at, on Dartmoor. So, you know, that was a good... <laughs> oh God, awful.
2: Were you that person?
1: Yeah, I was that person. It was awful. The worst part of that was that probably either my £270 bar bill the next morning, or, (laughs) yeah, I know, I know, or the fact that I had an absolute meltdown at the end of the night because my phone had gone missing and basically everybody who was still up dancing was looking for my phone, um to the kind of tune of a nineties mega mix. And it turned out it was my phone plugged into the speaker the whole time. <laughs> so people were like searching for my phone for half an hour, like
2: five, six, seven, eight my boots, good tragedy. Were you were you like this music, this playlist is yeah, everyone was absolutely absolutely is fire? Rocking. Like, what a great soundtrack to find a phone to.
1: Yeah, it is my phone. So yeah, that was yeah, a low
2: point, a low point for me. Um, did you like, Did you wake up with a hazy? Oh, oh dear. Yeah, what the, happened? The worst, the
1: worst shame in the world. Like just <laughs> absolutely horrendous. And then it was a the wedding was on a Friday, I think, or maybe it was the Saturday of a bank holiday weekend. And basically, the M5 was bumper to bumper on the way and it took me nine air conditioning roof down burnt my scalp to a cinder <laughs> uh, had the roof down on the mini for nine hours sitting in the sun on the m5 just baking hung over and obviously thought it was gonna take me like three hours to get home and had committed to making a trifle for my friend's 30th birthday the next day so was literally in my kitchen at two o'clock in the morning having to so I don't know if you've ever made a trifle but you don't make a trifle in one go because you have to wait for each layer to set so it had one it had a mandarin jelly um then it had a blancmange then it had um like lady fingers and it had a uh lady a, fingers really jelly so I would basically put it in the fridge for an hour wait for it to set and lay on the sofa with my alarm on and then every hour I'd get up and put another layer on on the trifle so but it was a delicious trifle I was gonna say the most
2: important thing was it tasty Did yeah
0: it, it was well?
1: and do you
2: know what I love a trifle so it was worth. I it. don't don't like cream and actually any type of cream I was asked at the I was asked at the weekend did I like any type of cream no Do you don't like ice it cream um it
1: cream?
2: not really uh it it repeat ice cream repeats on me a little bit um not quite sure why it makes me foam a little bit in the <laughs> Wow, like a dog. <laughs> can't yeah, believe I just divulged that on the pod anyway and um, I'm just thinking you're thinking about um weddings and always that person and my cousins got married always uh, well, that ye- person, no no not you always. but there is there is always yeah. that person at yeah. a wedding and my cousins got married up on Loch Tay, um at my auntie and uncle's house um well their holiday home and it was I mean years ago and it was absolutely stunning. Um and two funny memories one well one not so funny was the fact that my brother was that guy um and decided to have a no joe um really that surprised me no no joe was quite an angry person when he was growing up and um yeah he decided to have a flat out english scottish um argument but he was the only english person and got very aggressive towards (laughs) my cousin's friends um and then um the best bit about it though uh my granddad who is unfortunately no longer with us was being wheeled by my brother from the front room outside because he was needing to go home and he was really angry that he was getting taken home. Um, so my cousin was walking in and and as they passed, my granddad swiped the wine bottle out of her hand and started necking the wine straight <laughs> from the bottle. It's like you're not taking me home, and if you are, I'm going to finish on on a high. Um, so yeah, that's probably the two memories that uh, lasted. You know me? who else
1: left a wedding in a wheelchair? who my friend lori on her wedding day <gasps> what happened she was so drunk she had to be wheeled back to her room in uh <laughs> in, the in Las Vegas in a wheelchair and there's a photo of of dan wheeling her back and they look like they're like at a halloween party like as zombies or something it's absolutely oh, super wow. in
2: vegas
1: in vegas yeah in las vegas um I was thinking this the other day, like it would be nice for you to have like a destination wedding, just for my benefit, really, because I'd really like <laughs> I, I love a wedding, a destination wedding, and I just thought who? Nolly, Nolly and Simone. So I'll start. are not with- engaged though, mate, but just, just yeah, all right. Well, as soon as you find that <laughs> ring for Koya to match one for you, then we are on to a winner. So well should you we bit-
2: talk to? I was gonna say I'm feeling uncomfortable now, so can we <laughs> swiftly move on? Um we had a barbecue in the rain in Devon. Um on the weekends because it was my delightful, biggest brother Sam's 40th birthday. Happy so Italy, Sam. yeah, um, it was, it was fun. Although we were cooking stuff on the barbecue. The barbecue had broken slightly. So my mom was taking things inside to heat in the oven that we realized when she was bringing it back out again, it was cold. So the oven had broken, so it, w- wow. it wasn't the smoothest operation of barbecues mm-hmm. I've been to, but um, we bought my brother as a surprise, um, a 1.2 kilo tomahawk steak, which he yeah. decided to uh, even beat him to be fair. I was, wow. I mean, yeah, I don't, I think it was because he'd waited so long. He'd been snacking on so much before the steak arrived. But um, yeah, it was good fun. and clover um they have a little piece but it was left uh, for leftovers for my mum the next day to have. lovely um, and yeah.
1: I was on voiceover duty on scrum five on Sunday evening and I managed to get my line into my script that I've been trying to get into the rainbow cup scripts for the past few weeks I've been waiting for Zebra to score a breakout try and it wasn't enough to win the game against Benetton, who were three from three in the Rainbow Cup, but it was enough for me to be able to use the immortal words: "Hear hooves, think zebras." And do you know what? It's just made my month. It's just made me so happy because I feel like I see so many of these um, influences. It's like the the buzz phrase:
2: "Hear hooves, think horses, not zebras." I, do you not know I, this phrase? I've I've never have, um, but I just think the word hoof makes me just it's <laughs> just ridiculous um, and obviously hooves um yeah yeah
1: it's like when yeah. someone describes like not the calves on your legs but my sister was telling me something this could not be more welsh about some cows the other day and she referred now to me the plural of calf is calves in a agricultural sense i don't know if we can dial in suba super- for some confirmation here but mm. when my sister referred to them as calves I know it's carving when they're born but yeah it just jarred
2: and I, It was to be honest words. I don't know I don't think I've ever found that out and every time I have to write calves or calves or the fact that I have very low knees so therefore I have small calves <laughs> I never know which one it is maybe someone on like the- an erroneous l in a word like
1: in uh, like my, one of my biggest bugbears in life is that so famous um, athletics star, Olympic medalist, Dame Kelly. Holmes. Yeah. My mum pronounces the L in that word. She calls her Holmes. She also says Charlotte Holmes. And, you know, from, so if you're in <laughs> Western or if you're in Penarth, you can see two little islands, which are called flat home and steep home right do you not know those no i don't think i do mate literally you can see them from minehead and from penarth i always feel like it oh. it connects you and i um, okay. and my mum calls them flat home and steep home
2: yeah
1: she doesn't pronounce in <laughs> salmon she doesn't say salmon so why
0: does she
2: say <laughs> home yeah anyway i feel like this is um an interesting start to the pod. Yeah. We've got some rugby to talk about because, oh my, we previewed it last week, but it was so cool to see rugby sevens being played by the GB girls. Finally, not against themselves, but against and the GB opposition. Boys. And I was going to get to them. And also Simon Ward um, and Rob Vickerman were on comms. And one of the, the funniest things made me laugh in the first game they were kind of welcoming and talking about the fact that it was St George's Park and and um they were on Gary Lineker's pitch oh it was like the Gary Lineker pitch yeah and uh Rob Vickerman had tweeted and tagged him in and said oh now it's being put to some good use and Gary Lineker had retweeted it or quote retweeted it oh, and it, uh, Rob got it into commentary and then Wardy was like oh that's a major day and he's like yeah, like it flat out has, He's got like six something million followers and stuff. So yeah. Rob Vickerman, um, congratulations of having a retweet from Gary Lineker. Um, but your comms was great, I really enjoyed it, and it was just bloody marvelous to see them trotting about, um, their lungs on fire, um, yeah. <laughs> and dealing with well, wow, some of the skill was awesome and the weather at times was just horrendous, but fair play. From
1: a from a sevens player perspective. Obviously, no matter what sport you play or take part in or what format of rugby you play or take part in, it's very difficult to replicate game conditions. But is sevens the hardest? Is is the shock to the system of actual competitive match play in sevens
2: something else completely? Yeah, there is nothing like it. Like, as much as you literally run your blood to water in training and you can just smash yourselves in training there is nothing like the intensity of the game and it's really odd because actually i mean the girls do uh, i don't i think the boys would do them as well but i know the deck the girls definitely do death games <laughs> it's right. their replication of match intensity um but to get that match intensity it's the pressure it's the fact that the ball shifts and the way that teams play um and also Yeah, like I don't don't know what it is, but you just can't replicate it, and it it is—it's so savage. And you could see the girls, like, well, and the boys—they were literally lungs were squeezing out of their chests to try and get as much. I was, um,
1: I was really surprised when you told me that in the lead up to Rio, you had done an altitude camp in Switzerland because obviously Rio isn't at altitude; it's a sea level city, um. I believe that to be true. We all know that geography isn't my strong point. Um, but how does that affect it? Obviously, in sevens, you are your body is under a huge amount of stress because it is so fast, quick pace. You've then got the mental challenge of decision making in that
2: environment. And I think in altitude, how difficult is that? <laughs> it was savage. It was in France and the Alps and um it was brutal what what did make us laugh is we went to altitude so yeah like you say it's it's the pressure on your body it's the oxygen debt that you're working in and we did some um altitude training in the chambers but it's not the same as like running around and it was actually part of my rehab recovery with my knee I did I, I I did a fit my one of my first intense fitness sessions was in there on a ski erg and um that they there's like a camera watching it to make sure like I don't know just for safety and stuff and I was in there on my own and um I think they completely panicked because after about three minutes of training I was so unfit I I I vomited in the bin <laughs> <Looking at> the <laughs> which, <mask. laughs> yeah which was uh yeah to their entertainment on the camera but um yeah France in altitude um what was funny was uh, the fact it rained uh, it rained and then snowed and it wow. was so cold that we were like I'm not quite sure this is the best preparation for Brazil because we're going home <laughs> but it, were, it was tough Um it was really really tough and actually the best bit about it was nothing to do with the rugby at all it was the first time that I got to room with Vicky Fleetwood um, uh-huh. and that was where although we'd always been mates that was where our true friendship blossomed um, walking to training and moaning about the fact it was so cold and getting the hot chocolate on the way
1: back looking at the seven squad who we saw on saturday and the players involved obviously it's disjointed at this point because they're still making decisions on selections and there's a wider squad than that which will travel to the olympics but who do you think put their hand up on saturday and sunday
2: um you know what it was so interesting because every selection i was like go i was like thrust back into my playing days where you'd overthink absolutely everything and everyone being selected at different points and being brought on and all of those things um I think from a performance perspective I was really impressed with with loads of the girls and it was really cool to see the Scottish girls and Welsh girls alongside the English and actually by integrating them all their attributes all started to flourish especially because just the general skill level of everybody was that much higher. So they were shifting the ball a lot quicker. But for me, the person that just completely like blew the socks off every team that she played and, and the girls alongside it was Jazz Joyce. Um, oh, and really? there is really very little replacement for for speed in sevens, but also attitude. And she caught Sifani, um, who is one of France's best players. Um, she caught her from behind and, got back up on a feet and jack with the ball and I just love that like that to me epitomizes what the best sevens players in the world are about they're not just about ball in hand beating people you know to the try line for themselves it's catching someone um and, and stopping them from scoring so I think yeah as I say for me she's she's on that plane if she and I just hope that she stays fully fit um I think from the boys side of things it was really cool to see um in particular, the, the highlights reels of uh, Dan Norton, he just literally is like a fine line. He gets better with age. I, I messaged him saying, oh, fair play, grants. And he was like, oh, enough of the old. I was like, mate, embrace it. You'll get your class. <laughs> he doesn't look any older every year either, does it? He? <laughs> no.
1: He's like Benjamin Button. He's aging in reverse. I just want to pick up on Jazz Joyce because I think it is amazing that she... kind of stand out on the weekend and and how hard she works and and how good she is when she doesn't have the world series as a shop window between these olympics and uh, you know she was one of your squad mates in rio and and for her it's obviously been a huge ambition to go back to olympics after experiencing that last time around and i'm not saying it's harder work for her because every athlete has to put in a huge amount of work to get there but i just think it's amazing that what Jazz has done in that four-year cycle, or as it will be now, five-year cycle, to get herself out there, you know, the WIU perhaps have not been the most supportive union of her, she's had to <laughs> do things off her own back, and, you know, she went out, she played in the university um, competition in Australia, and I'm just so pleased to see that she's getting what she deserves here, and, and fingers crossed that that is incredibly fit until Tokyo getting selected being on that plane and, and having an opportunity to show what she can do and I noticed there were a couple of tweets about whether the GB7s will um, be a fixture on the World Series when the lottery funding was agreed to get them together for this after they lost funding um, it did state in that statement that GB sevens would compete after the Olympics through to the end of the season on the world series. And I am so excited for the Welsh girls in the squad if they're part of that, because I I, I can't wait to see jazz have the opportunity. Wales have taken part in one world series event previously. That was as the uh, invitational team in Paris a few years ago. And uh, I just want to see jazz carve up. I'm desperate to see that. And I'm I'm so happy for her that, that she's having an opportunity to show what she can do.
2: Yeah, look, you know, the, the, the Scottish girls did really well. Rona Lloyd was scored two tries, I think, from about five meters from her own five-meter line. You could see the absolute pain etched on her face. Um to you know, and she out she outran Amy Lee Murphy Crow um for one of them, which is you know, she is a try scoring machine, she is unbelievably yeah. quick. Um, so it was brilliant to see her and also Hannah Smith and Hannah Jones, the you know, the, the Scottish and Welsh. Uh, Centres respectively, um, both performing well in the Six Nations coming over, and I think, I think what's what was interesting was a lot of the the play that they did. They, it was a bit scrappy, it was a bit disjointed. In particular, in defence, there were some misreads, um, but that takes time. And actually, every single game had like different units and different combinations, yeah. and you know they needed to see, like all the coaches needed to see the girls. But that's difficult to be able to perform. Um, but they did they got better and better as the, as the tournament went on and they absolutely smashed France in their last game and um, Abby Brown scored a couple of breakaway tries like it was wicked to see her with a huge gun on her face she was just like I missed it so much um so yeah look, I think I think it's brilliant and, and actually one person that I found myself shouting at my phone um to cheer her on was our dear friend uh, Heather Fisher yes. um, she managed to split a face open um tackling someone with her face um, but she was just physical fast ripping into people and you know she's been out for five weeks with an injury and this is her first proper stuff back um, and I think just knowing Heather knowing the journey she's been on knowing that she is bloody old compared to most people <laughs> um it was it was really cool to see her and yeah I think with your I'm own... just
1: with your sevens coaching panda hat on there's a lot of talk of individuals who were taking part on Saturday and Sunday and there perhaps at times isn't a huge amount of cohesion until the squad is finalized you think that they will struggle to to kind of find that and if that's something that would concern you if you were coaching that team that squad at the moment
2: um I think by the sounds of things they're all enjoying themselves but this is the tough end of it and there's no there's no getting away from that it's brutal you know, elite sport is tough and there are going to be girls that are so close to making the cup, but they don't. And I think with sevens, a unique side of selection is that it depends on who you work well with in combination, your skills, pulling the best out of somebody else. But also if you cover across multiple positions, you want players that do that. Yeah. You also need a balance across the team. It's not just about pace. It's about physicality. You, you know, so I think... And fitness and and you need experience you know you think of the girls that went to to rio they've had that you know that journey through those five years and it's it's going to be brutal and all the way through i genuinely was thinking i don't know who that 12 is going to be and wow. and although i could probably say a few of them it's it's going to be really difficult but that it's a credit to all the girls and how hard they are, but that make it's going to be really, really tough um, for the ones that don't make it. It's exciting! It's exciting. Keep working hard, girls. Um, shall
1: we have a little chat about yesterday evening in Bristol? What's a rugby
2: match? There were fans <laughs> in the stands. And yeah, it- they were. Yeah, there were fans up at the Newcastle game as well, and it, I, you know what, it was just so good. And um, it was such a ridiculous game. I actually turned it on after the red card. Um, so didn't see that incident. Um, but the amount of tries that were butchered is just so funny. Or like didn't quite your know, like TMO. It, was it was just, loud in the first half or something. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, it, I think it got up to maybe double figures, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. But um, yeah, it was awesome. And the best bit about it was... Sarah Elgin trying to interview Callum Sheedy at the end for play of the match and they were basically shouting at each other what makes me laugh is that everyone was obviously so excited because that never normally happens (laughs) and there was only 3,000 so you can imagine what it's going to be like as we get more and more hopefully. It's amazing how
1: players have become so kind of used to their not having fans there and something that I had seen the other day that really surprised me and like if you're a, a Prem player who's debuted this season or since rugby restart last season, you might might have never played a premiership game in front of fans. So Stephen Varney, who has cemented himself as a you know starting scrum half at Gloucester, you know, international honours for the past, you know, eight months or whatever since yet yeah, last autumn, has never played in front of the shed with fans in it.
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> My mad, word. isn't it? like he's so
1: a fan favorite for Gloucester fans yet he's never played in front of them
2: that's so crazy you know what it was really interesting talking like Pat Lamb did an interview at the end um with Craig and Austin and um he was saying that when he walked out of the tunnel ready for the warm-up he got really emotional um and he's like he's like oh I'm getting I'm getting soft in my old age but Such actually, an emotional man. yeah I think you know This weekend, I'm going to be down commentating at Twickenham. One, I'm so excited to finally be at a ground um, commentating, but there's going to be 10,000 in Twickenham. And I've played in front of less than that at, at the stadium and they make a lot of noise. And I think people kind of you know, maybe poo-poo the fact that, oh, it's only 10,000, it's only 3,000. I've played in front of those and oh my God, they can make some noise if they want to. Um, what I'm excited about is the fact that it's two French teams on the weekend. So it would be really interesting to see how the crowd, you know, is it people that are... I think everyone's
1: are... going to be excited just to watch live rugby. Before yeah. we go on to the Champions Cup, I just wanted to pick up, you mentioned the red card in yesterday's Bristol game, which for me... It was the decisive factor in the game, as much as Bristol perhaps struggled a little bit to um, find the gear they needed to pile, pile the well, points just, on the, just, end score,
2: the just score a try. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but um, somebody tweeted me saying, oh, it's ruined the game. And I said, well, you know, the trial that's taking place in the Rainbow Cup, and it made me aware that actually a lot of people aren't aware of the trial that's taking place in the Rainbow Cup. There are three different trial variations taking place at the moment. Uh, one of them is a red card trial, which you I mean, if, you're, if a player is red carded, they leave the field for 20 minutes. And after that 20 minutes, the team goes back to a full complement of players. But the player who was red carded can't come back on, so they have to be replaced. But you are only down to 14 men or women for 20 minutes as opposed to the rest of the game. So obviously, if it happens after 60 minutes, you see the game out. But when a red card happens in, in 10 minutes, as it did last night, which was the decisive factor and finished the game off it would have meant that by half time Gloucester were back to 15.
2: Mm. I think it's a it's a, it'd be interesting to see how that pans out and also from a coaching perspective you know if you're using up one of your subs who goes on have you already put someone on in that position you know what happens can you even make a substitution because you've used up everybody yeah. um I think it would definitely change with the with the tactics of using the the bench or the finishes or whatever anyone calls them um I think just thinking about the law variations and and trialing things I think we've spoke about it before with regards Giselle speaking quite openly about the fact that she wants to see um the the law variations being continued from the women's game and actually the although it created a a hell of a lot of pressure for her um, trying to work out how on earth to play these new laws, actually commentating on it the other day, it does change the dynamic. It does keep the ball in play so much more. Like she gave me some crazy stat that there was more ball in play time um, with the new law variations than there was um, on average, I think, across all the games than there was when they were playing 80 minutes on the old yeah, laws. Mental. So, And it was like 70 minutes, so you're ch- taking away an eight for the game, but yet they've still got the ball. So I just think, you know what, I'm all for innovation and changing, not for the sake of it, but with c- clear reasoning. And I think you're definitely right about the red card situation. When you go down to 14, it's just so hard to, to get a win. Do you know what I mean? It's literally hold on for dear life. And then if, if the other... Uh, if the other team don't score and don't win, like they get criticised for not doing better against 14 rather than the 14, do you know what I mean? It's.
1: I think the the funniest thing about it for me, it's not funny, but when we were talking about it in the BBC office and, you know, oh, think of how this could have changed games and 10 years on from that Rugby World Cup semi-final in New Zealand (laughs) and in the office, they're like, well, you know, Look at Sam's red card in New Zealand. We'd have been back to fifty. We'd have won that game, and I'm like, it's been ten years. Gotta <laughs> let it go. We've got to let it go. But it did make me laugh that that was at the forefront of people's minds when we were having the conversation. I it, I wouldn't have picked up on it, but it was true. We'd have won that game. We'd have been in a World Cup final, <laughs> and we'd have beaten New Zealand. We
2: would have beaten New Zealand that year. And you're like, all oh, right, okay then, okay. And- talking about Sam Warburton have you seen on social media I haven't seen the whole thing I've seen clips of the rugby walks with Sarah Elgin on BT Sport yeah I have her first either. one is with um Sam Warburton and like those little clips that he's put out and she's put out and it just looks so funny and he's talking about um when he first met his wife, and like he was trying to convince her that he wasn't one of the rugby lads, yeah. that he was uh, different. I like and- he watched maybe a few too many American
1: teen movies when he was like, "I <laughs> wasn't one of the jocks." I was like, "You went to Witchurch, like <laughs> you didn't go to Rydell High School. It's not Greece." I couldn't work out like the kind of premise if they'd walked from Rubina to Witchurch, Witchurch to the Arms Park, because there is no way, no way, no how sarah elgan is doing that work walking her heels that ain't <laughs> so there's some tv magic going on there but uh, yeah i look forward to seeing that and seeing who else they do in that series because it's um yeah that, you know i talked about this a lot that's what i love i love players backstories
2: yeah when he was talking about the fact that um that it was two years out of school and he was like, obviously massively looked up to Martin Williams and then two years on, he's stood waiting to receive kickoff and he stood next to him and is just like, Oh my God, like I've stood next to Martin Williams. Okay. And it's so funny, isn't it? Cause like I, when I was, um, commentating with Shane Williams over the men's six nations and he was like, at, it was the Scotland Wales game. And he was obviously wax lyrical about, um, Lewis Risame and and actually like I brought it up in commentary talking about the fact that I bet you know Lewis has been what, what short chain you know perform and yeah. then he's talking about him and saying you know how great he is but like actually Sam talking about someone that's older than him and who he's looked up to I just think is I don't know it's just so nice because it just normalizes elite athletes I think um, and the fact that we're all big kids really and we have all of our own heroes.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about heroes. One of mine, one of my heroes of European rugby, Ronan O'Gara, is coaching Lara in the Champions Cup final this weekend. So I'm going to be a Lara fan for the day. I do apologise to Kayla Aki. It's not Peter I'm behind this weekend. It's Lara You are commentating, so you cannot tell us who you're backing, but what are you expecting from the game this weekend?
2: Um, I just really hope that it isn't a bludgeoning affair that actually they play the way that we know they can. Um, I think the fact that like, the, the detail behind Lara Rochelle's passing is unbelievable. The way that they shift the ball across the across the team, um, but also for Toulouse, the interlinking between the forwards and the back, the offloading and the way that they play. If DuPont is on form, um, Entermac is just, you know, he's so casual and so nonchalant isn't he um I just think it has the making of being a wonderful wonderful game of rugby but also they know that and they know how each other play so I hope that they don't cancel each other out um but I'm sure it's going to be class and I'm just super excited to to be at Twickenham with a crowd um yeah I think it's it's going to be class and actually Earlier on in the day, across the road, there's going to be another crowd. Um, the first one for the women's Allianz Premier Fifteens um, of the season. So, yeah, Quins v Wasps, and there's going to be a crowd up at Stone. It's Stone X, the Saracens Ground. Um, oh. They, we've, yeah, they're going to be playing Left for Lightning. Um, and who yeah. are your winners for
1: those two games? I know that we've had a conversation off the pod where you think Wasps could turn Quins over this weekend.
2: Yeah, like they've got the sevens players back. I know that Gisela has, uh, has fought quite hard to make sure they're available. Um, they're pretty important players for, for Wasps, but I just feel like the way that they played, and I'm watching them play against Bristol. I think um, they have struggled in the past to, and when you know when I was playing for Wasps, we struggled up front with the yeah. physicality um, that the Quinns forwards bring. I think it makes a bigger difference with the new law variation because they can't catch and drive um, in the middle of the field. Um, mm-hmm. There's not as many scrums, but it's a big ask to go up against that pack, especially that, you know, in a full England uh, front row and well, basically <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think that they've got the capacity to do it, and um, I'm really excited to to see. And and some of those tries that Wasps scored were just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, hopefully Harriet's face is all right now. She broke her nose. Um, in oh, the, no, quite no, no, no. yeah, right across the face. Amazing offload out the back door, but took, took one in the schnoz. Um, but I think she she's excited, and uh, yeah, I think it could be Wasps's. Finally, to opportunity to get through to that final. I, I played in I played in a couple of semi-finals and we didn't quite make it. So um. Oh <laughs> um on that note, we will leave you
1: guys. There is so much live rugby to watch this weekend, um, and free to air. That's the exciting thing. You can watch the um Allianz Premier 15s matches by Checking out the uh, Allianz Prem 15's social channels. They'll tell you where you can get hold of them. And the Champions Cup final will be live on Channel 4 with our very own Nolly on the commentary mic. So on that note, we're going to let you go off and prep. Bye. Awesome.
2: Cheers, mate.
0: target.